You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. Hey, everybody. Oh, hey, that's, look that's, at that. That's Anthony being a cynic again. I, I know. I'm so sorry. I should die. No, uh, I'm very happy you're here, listeners, because it makes me feel that I'm not alone with these two. So I'm going to just jump right into a follow-up to something we've talked about previously, whereas you guys informed me that the kids on the TikTok posted videos on how easy it is to steal Hyundais. Uh, I, I didn't know that. I'm not in touch with youth culture as much as you two are. Uh, but so Hyundai is now, they're offering a security kit to stem the raft of vehicle thefts uh, popularized on TikTok and other such things. Uh, and so uh, Hyundai knows they have this problem. Apparently, it's easy enough for anybody with a TikTok to break into a Hyundai. And so Hyundai's solution is, hey, here's our security kit for you. $170, please. Yeah. And I think it's a, a, um, I looked at it last week. It was like a subscription to a, uh, kind of a, some kind of monitoring security, monitoring alarm service and a club or something like that. So it was, it's kind of funny. It's like 180 bucks and it's, you know, it's because they designed a key that makes it easy to steal the car. And now you got to pay them another 200 bucks for that. So that, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I, I think there should probably be at some point a little more um, action by Hyundai and Kia to help the consumers out in this situation. Um, and, you know, beyond that, there's a federal theft prevention standard. It really only makes um, companies label certain parts so they can track them in auto thefts. But, you know, I don't see any reason why, you know, there's certainly some added danger and public safety issues that are created by car thefts and the crimes they're used in often. So, you know, there's a, you know, if, if manufacturers can't get it together and they, they you know, they, they keep putting out cars that are easy to steal, we might see NHTSA someday might, uh, make a theft prevention standard that actually prevents theft um, versus tracking parts. Who knows? I love this just as a business model. <laughs> Here's a problem. We've caused it. Pay us more money and we'll kind of sort of maybe fix it for you. Um, it's straight out of some other auto company. Uh, speaking of that auto company, let's talk about Tesla. Uh, so Tesla, you know, the makers of uh, full self-driving, which will be ready any minute now, uh, is... Uh, with their automated driving systems, whatnot, they're notorious for saying, hey, let's get rid of, we're not going to support LIDAR because that's just too much good information. We're removing radar from our cars because everyone else uses that and it's a good way to see, potentially see objects when you're moving relatively slowly and for tracking distance for automated cruise control. Now they're removing the ultrasonic sensors from their cars. And the, these things, I didn't really know what they did until I read this article. Well, the ultrasonic sensors, they're all around the car and they help with things like uh, uh, with parking so they can help identify objects very closely like curbs and walls and corners and things like that. And Tesla has decided to drop that um, because it says someday our camera vision systems will be just as good as the data we get from ultrasonic sensors. Um, I love it that someday this will happen. So yeah, someday, you know, the Tesla that's now 10 years old will be part of a robo taxi fleet and not sitting in a junkyard. Um, the we, 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 there's a lot of some days coming out of, coming out of there. Um, in this case, you know, I think our big problem with this is a couple of things, you know, you're removing systems that create redundancy and that helps safety you know the more the more systems we have detecting objects around the vehicle the better i think it's a cost-cutting move and you know they in by not having to install redundant systems on these vehicles they're saving a lot of money and promising that their cameras are going to machine learn their way into a brighter better future and i just don't buy it i think they need more sensors more redundancy um and you know from talking about autonomous vehicles it just seems like there's a ton more work that needs to be done with multiple sensor um 
platforms that you know they fuse sensors together so that you don't so that you're not detecting things based on the input from just a camera for instance so i, I i'm i'm skeptical and cynical at the same time on that one well i don't know how it's possible to have less information and make the car safer it just doesn't make sense last week uh we talked about the object event detection and response oedr and how data fusion of different sensors can enhance the perception and therefore make the car safer and more responsive to its environment. Um, it's hard to do that. It you know it takes some work, and it reminds me of the talking Barbie that came out about thirty years ago. And um, <laughs> the unenlightened people at Mattel had one of her expressions saying, "Math is hard." So maybe Classic. you know maybe Mattel has become a stockholder in Tesla big time and. You know, they're trying to, to push that philosophy down. I, I don't know. At the time, there was a, a group of pranksters. They uh, took the talking modules from Barbie and from G.I. Joe and swapped them so that you buy a Barbie uh, and it would say, you know, kill Cobra. And and G.I. Joe would say math is hard, which I thought was amazing. I love uh, that. Yeah. But, but back to Tesla just wanting to rely on cameras. I think anybody who has a backup camera on their car and has tried to use it after you know being out on uh, in wintry conditions, and you you hit reverse and you see I can't see anything outside this camera because it's covered in all sorts of gunk, yeah. and garbage. I actually have to use my mirrors again. <laughs> so I think clearly Tesla has a secret plan to create an amazing suffocant. Is that how you say that word? some some way to 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 make it so dirt doesn't happen in the world maybe that's what they're doing they're working on a program to eliminate grime and that's you know we're just missing his big plan not grimes grime grime <laughs> uh, you um you know maybe they're going to use a robot it's going to come out to your car at corner and just wipe your sensors down there's going to be one on every corner of america right next to the um supercharger for your vehicle <laughs> So right. robots they, had, they had a whole army of people in New York a while ago who would come out and uh, do your windshields. Maybe this is part of an anti-poverty program. Yeah, it's, you know, no more poverty for robots. I like it. So that's the <laughs> that's what I have in news this week. Uh, let's jump to uh, Recall Roundup. Strap in. Time for the Recall Roundup. There's a couple fun ones in here. Uh, let's start off with the... Uh, Recall of a school bus, Microbird, the Microbird G5. Uh, loose connection of power cables may cause control board to overheat and melt. That's what I look for in a school bus, melting. Yeah, you know, luckily there are emergency exit requirements in the regulations, Anthony. You're going to be excited to hear that. There uh -huh. is a regulation that requires certain emergency exits in school buses um so you know and that's a really big concern and it's been raised by folks who are um pushing back against seat belts on school buses that in the case you know of, of a school bus fire people are going to have trouble children especially you know getting out of their seat belts um we haven't seen any data on that or studies but you know it's you know obviously a fire on a school bus is one of the biggest nightmares of you know any parent and and us here really i mean it's it's a a lot of uh young children especially so those types of recalls you know we like to see them getting done and quickly that's another issue too is that that you know a lot of the the schools don't get their recalls done they're just like consumers out there where i think we where we typically see under 70 percent repair rates so there are a lot of school buses out there in America that, that, that are running around with defects that are unrepaired. Um, and that's something we would tell everyone listening to us to contact their local school district about and put a little pressure on them to make sure your school buses are safe. Yeah, because this recall starts affecting vehicles um, from the 2012 model year. I mean, so this is, you know, 10 years of defective school buses. So uh, moving on to my favorite subject, motorcycles. Ducati of North America, um, oil cooler hose may leak oil. You know, just another reason not to get a motorcycle. Right, teenager who lives with me who's probably still asleep right now because they didn't have school today. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think of an oil leak on your car and it's, 
I don't think it's quite as safety critical as an oil leak when you're on a motorcycle. But, uh, you know, I, I haven't ridden a lot of motorcycles, but I don't think an oil spill on two wheels is, is nearly as fun as it is on four. You're not a big video game player, huh? You know, I remember there were some oil slicks uh, back in the day on, was it? I forget the name of the Nintendo motorcycle game. It was really fun. Excite Bike. Oh, I I was dating myself. That would be my last experience to a Commodore 64 game where you could do that. Uh, And then the last recall is another leaking one. Volkswagen (laughs) brake lines may leak, which which can surprisingly increase the distance required to stop and increase the risk of crash. What's with all these leaks going on? Were these cars just assembled on a Friday afternoon? Is that the theory? You know, that one. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't look at that one yet, Anthony. <laughs> Shameful, you know. You know what? Uh, it's, I, it's the 2023s. Um, so this is, you know, this is a good recall. We love the recalls when we're seeing that on vehicles that are just coming off the assembly line. It means they're doing their due diligence and not trying to correct them six and eight years later. Because all those cars would have been smashed up because... Yeah, there was another one this week. You know, there was a good comparison in the recalls this week. There was a, there were two violations of Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standard 108. One was um, by Chrysler, and I think we talked about this in our podcast a couple of three weeks ago, um, where Chrysler filed a petition for inconsequentiality, basically saying the defect, the 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 noncompliance was there, but it wasn't going to hurt anyone, and NHTSA denied it. and then on the and that was on vehicles that were probably they were made in uh, 2016 2017 time period and chrysler is just now putting a recall out on them you know six years five years six years into them being out on the road uh, they've delayed the recall successfully for a few years now and knowing also that recall repairs um that people come in for recall repairs at a lower rate later in the vehicle's lifespan, they're looking at a significantly smaller number of recall repairs they're going to have to conduct um, on that one. So it's that's one side. And then the other side, you had a submission by BMW on um, two, I believe it was Bentleys that came off its line with a FMVSS 108 violation and they got those zipped up really quick and fixed it and done. So, uh, you know, Chrysler, you need to look to Bentley for, for customer service, uh, ideas. We all need to look to Bentley. And with that, let's jump into the tower of Fred. You've now entered the Dow of Fred. You're our, you're our own internal Bentley. Oh, and I'm going to correct that now. It was Rolls oh. Royce, but what the hell? I can't afford it. Look, you're, you're living in the past now. Okay. We've moved on to the Tao of Fred or the Dow of Fred. We don't know. How is it pronounced? We don't now, last know. week, my favorite part of the OEDR discussion is I listened to it again. I don't think you actually defined OEDR until the start of this episode. So yeah, it's well. a cliffhanger. This is great. Thank you for being an attentive listener, Anthony. I, oh, I noticed that myself when I was listening to it, but it was too late. So anyway. we were we were too far into Rogers and Hammerstein at that point to, to <laughs> right. come back. So so this week we spun the magic wheel of acronyms, and we're going to stick with a very simple one. It's simple because only two letters, so it should be a quick conversation. AI. AI. And how much time do we have? Oh no! It's gonna be that. You know, wait, what musical are we going to do this week? West Side Story. Hey, I wish I looked hard for some appropriate lyrics, but I couldn't really find anything. I I, I came up with um seven girls in the back seat with Fred somehow, but that I guess that's, that's just a very me. different podcast. Very very, very different. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if we just start of AI. Come on, ex, 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 you know what's the acronym? I think you do that, and we're doing better than last week. AI, artificial intelligence, and uh, something that we've all heard about and something that virtually none of us really understand. Part of the reason is because everybody who uses it for whatever purpose uh, is basically using it differently. Um, It's a misnomer that's been in use for a really long time. And what it really means is mechanical inference. 
It's these uh, all of these things that you hear about as artificial intelligence programs are really just looking at correlation between inputs and outputs. Uh, you know, a real intelligence is when people, animals, whatever, are able to generalize from experiences they've had, knowledge that they've got, and project it into future situations with a very high probability of the correct interpretation of those heretofore unseen events. That's something that artificial intelligence is absolutely incapable of doing. Now, this is, gets a little geeky because we talk about correlation versus causality. Um, and the easiest way to explain that is if a rooster crows every morning when the sun comes up, there's a direct correlation between the sun coming up and the rooster crowing. But there's no causality because there's no mechanism for the rooster to actually induce the sun to come up. So um, that's the difference between correlation and causality. It's important, though, because what artificial intelligence does is it only addresses correlation. Uh, if you look inside of any artificial intelligence software, you find something called a neural network. A neural network is not a bunch of hardware. What it is is a software program that has logical cascades, if you will. And when you load information into one end, you get some information out at the other end, and a human being or somebody like a human being will say, yes, that's the correct way to interpret those inputs. The program then goes back and takes that reaffirmation of its whatever it's doing inside and puts uh, parameters in place to adjust the probability of that input being correct with regard to the output that it's been told is correct. So that's complicated and, it, and it's hard to understand, but we'll look at it this way. If you have an artificial intelligence engine that is interpreting photographs and you show it a photograph of a cow in a pasture, the human being at the other end interpreting that says, well, yes, that's a cow. If you show it many, many pictures of different cows in pastures, it starts to generalize and say, okay, this is, I know what a cow is because all of these different pictures have certain characteristics. And the human being at the end of the chain has told me, yes, each and every one of those is a cow. And there are now whole databases set up that have thousands, billions of photographs, each of which has been identified as by a human being as having a certain characteristic. The problem is that if you've only fed into it pictures of cows that have a green background, the neural network might generalize to say, well, any picture that has a green background, like a pasture, is a cow. So if you then put a picture of a green pasture in front of it with no animal in it, it would identify it as a cow. So there's, there's a false correlation because it's looking at the wrong part of the information. What this points out is that you need to be very careful about the information that you present to the neural network, as well as the integrity, if you will, of the person at the end who's identifying that information as what the neural network should be interpreting. So people have gotten, go ahead, Anthony. So let's, let's bring this into the, the topic of auto safety. So what you're saying here is I'm identifying a cow and let's say I work for a company, Tesla, I assume I would have fed this system a lot of photos of different types of vehicles, maybe some vehicles that are large and red and have ladders on them and flashing lights um, so, so that my vehicle could, my Tesla would identify this is something that I shouldn't drive full speed into. Um, apparently, that is more sophisticated than the approach they've taken. I'm, I'm not really sure, but what, they're, what they've done actually with their, um, what they call training drivers is they just drive this thing around with the neural networks in place, interpreting the information that is constantly coming in from the sensors. And because the human being is at the wheel, the neural network assumes that everything that's happening is proper and correct. And so it, it tries to generalize among all these different inputs that are coming in um, inside the neural network to say, okay, this is a good driver. I can see how all of this stuff correlates with good driving practices. The hope is that in the future, when you turn this engine loose on the highway, it will have enough information so it can look at the information 
it's seeing. It'll have enough data so it can look at the information it's seeing and interpret that properly in terms of appropriate driving skills. And you won't need the human being there because you'll already have the database loaded with all of this information. So the, a problem that arises, well, this, let me back up, a term that people use to describe this uh, problem of the green background and the cow is brittleness. There's brittleness in the interpretation because unless you've got exactly the right parameters identified and exactly the right correlation coming in, then there's a chance of misinterpretation. So in the example you talked about, these vehicles with flashing red lights that don't occur all that often, don't happen all that often, they are assumingly uh, assumed to be de minimis in the database. There just aren't that many occurrences of that. So when the neural network is looking at all of these different uh, inputs that are coming in, it doesn't see a lot of flashing red lights by the side of the road. So it has trouble bringing those to the top of the list of things it should be concerned about, perhaps. I, we need to look at the exact implementation to make sure, but that, that would be something that would make sense from the statistics because all these neural networks, they're just working on the statistics of the inputs versus the interpretation of the outputs. They're all inference engines. They're not really putting rational thought into the inputs and the outputs that it's uh, generating. Okay, so if I was a regulator who actually cared to regulate the auto industry, as you two regularly tell me that doesn't exist, um, so I, I there's some reason we need to see their their neural network, and so we can see the inputs that went into it, we can see the outputs, but is there a way to audit actually what happened in the middle? Sadly, no. It's a machine conundrum. It's a black. It's literally well, as nearly as something can be literally a black box. It's a black box, and it's impenetrable to human logic because it's uh, it's all software. It's all in the middle of this gook, and this this actually harkens back to the discussion we had a few sessions ago about software validation. I like how you call this sessions. This is therapy, isn't it? Episode. Sorry, <laughs> okay. we're not analyzing each other here. But when we talked about software uh, validation, we said ideally what you want to have is a relationship between the requirements that you put into the software and the outputs that the software is providing. So that every requirement should have a very well-defined output and everything that the software is doing as output, you should be able to trace back to the requirement on the front end of the software. Unfortunately, with artificial intelligence engines and neural networks, no human being can tell what's really going on inside. So the only way you can validate this software is to just run it through millions and millions and millions or scads of inputs, look at the outputs and say, well, it looks about right to me. You know, we've got 99.999% probability that this range of inputs will give us this output. But you can't really do the, the deterministic validation that you would like to have in software to make sure that all the inputs are mapped to outputs and all the outputs are mapped back into inputs. So it becomes very difficult from a regulatory viewpoint to say, what is what is enough? And you know, you have to train it enough and you have to look at it enough to say, it's this is reasonably safe. Of course, that gets you into the problem. What the hell does reasonably safe mean? Who's defining what reasonably safe is? So uh, that that's the that's the problem because everything is advertised as oh this has artificial intelligence in it and I know the software industry does this where they claim that hey we're creating this artificial intelligence platform and nine times out of ten it's a room full of like four hundred people in the Philippines working for you know a couple of dollars an hour answering questions and and matching images and whatnot. That's exactly uh, what they have to do. That's right. Yeah. So the the so what is. I know how it's being advertised is like, hey, these cars will drive themselves and they'll become safer than humans. Um, is is this realistic within, you know, I don't know, my lifetime? Well, how long are you going to live? Uh, how long is this podcast episode going to go? Uh, I don't know. What are we on now? 112? <laughs> so, well, I mean, let's talk about what AI is useful for. Uh, it's really useful for raising money. 
Very good at that. <laughs> a lot of people put AI into their uh, corporate titles or their project titles, and the money seems to come pouring in because nobody, including people who are rich investors, can really understand what the hell it's supposed to do or whether or not it's done it successfully. Um, so it's, but it's, it is useful for some things like prediction of correlation between narrowly defined inputs and carefully constructed outputs. So if you want to know uh, what's the probability that somebody who uses uh, TikTok will buy a Snickers bar at the beginning of the third quarter for a Giants football game, you can do a great job with AI of sifting through all the data to find that out. And when you find that cohort, you're going to use their internet connection to send them an ad for a Snickers bar. And, you know, Mars is going to be very happy with that. That's fine because they're not going to drive their car into me. That's right. Well, I think that there's similar things going on that are probably related to the infotainment system or what some manufacturers call the personalization of your vehicle. There's there's certainly going to be some targeted advertising involved in that. Absolutely. So, I mean, those are the kind of things that AI is useful for, for sifting large amounts of data to find generalized trends. Uh, you know, if you if you look at all the roosters and you want to find out how many roosters are going to crow when the sun comes up, it, it would do a very good job of doing that. Um, what it's not useful for is predicting the outcome of situations where the inputs are neither carefully controlled nor commonly encountered. And unfortunately, whenever you're in a vehicle in a situation that presents life-threatening circumstances, that's the characterization of what those life-threatening circumstances are. They generally happen suddenly. You probably haven't encountered them before. They are encountered very rarely. So it's very, very difficult to think that AI, it's hard to have high confidence that AI that's been trained on benign driving circumstances will have much of a chance of really addressing these challenging life-critical situations that are likely to encounter, that uh, the vehicle is likely to encounter. So this also gets into the bias behind the programming of it, of the the type of person, their background that decided, hey, these are the, so with, with image recognition, these are the types of images of cows I'm going to show you and whatnot. I mean, there's an inherent bias to that because I am only showing Holsteins because that's all I care about. Right. So it's not going to recognize, I don't know, Kobe cows. Are they Kobe cows or is it just Kobe beef? I'm not sure. Uh, uh, we can't really ask them because they're already packaged when we see them. But. That's true. I'll ask my Bentley dealer about that. Um, but okay, so we have those issues. So and we and and are are we just seeing like with uh, what we talked about with the GM Cruise, like where the car has an existential crisis, just stops. I mean, they're doing some sort of uh, vision systems there. They're doing. Uh, there's a neural network in there, and they're just saying, yeah, I. I I'm having a bad day. I'm going to stop here on the street. Is this growing pains of the systems, or do you think of this as there's some Achilles heel? Well, you have to look at the whole causal chain of what's causing that incident. And without doing an extensive analysis, you don't know what that causal chain is. So there could be overload of the visual system, for example. It could be just that uh, there's too much information coming into it, too much light. They don't know how to handle the amount of uh, excited pixels in the in the focal plane, that's one possibility. Um, but you know, there's a chain between the camera and the interpretation of the camera that's just analog, you know, wires and connectors and all that kind of stuff. That could be failing as well. It could be overloaded. Then you've got the perception, which is inside of the OEDR engine, if you will. And uh, that's where the artificial intelligence comes in. That can certainly fail. It can be. It can misunderstand the information that's coming in. It can fail to be trained on the situation with enough generality so that it can interpret that individual situation properly. So we don't know. All we know is that somebody hasn't done the job of testing this situation in enough circumstances to verify that it works properly. Getting back, you know, ultimately to software validation once again. So, so for listeners at home, I want to make sure that you don't misinterpret things. So the, the neural network, it has, again, we'll use the picture, the, the image of the cow. It's got, it's been trained on millions of pictures of cows. It doesn't actually, when it's driving down the street, it's not actually looking at, 
uh, doing a lookup in a database of let me look does this match one of these million cows it's coming up with a, a, a heuristic a rule of thumb saying i have an idea of what a cow is and looks like um, that's correct I, that's I, the objective of the yeah, neural network i just want to clarify because if not people are gonna be like this is gonna be this will never work it's impossible but jumping more into to auto safety so the story is that this will be better than humans this will be safer than humans and michael passed around this new york times article uh from april 19th of this year that starts up with a surprising number to me which is that 1.35 million people are killed in crashes on the world's road every year um I mean, I guess I've been in some crazy South American roads. I can see that. Um, but the thing is, you know, part of this is that that AI will make things safer for everybody. So it will take out the human element. It will take out human mistakes. It will take out our misguided judgments. But from what we were just talking about, well, humans, us misguided, mistaken, prone humans are the ones programming these AI systems is this is this really getting us safer is this I mean we can make a, a you can, like you said with the Mars candy bar this can be a uh, a good guess of how often a car will crash but we're talking in the US it's almost 40,000 people a year that die in car crashes every year um, I know this is something you guys bring up regularly I don't know if you actually do it on the episodes but is does ai and these self-driving things does it get better when it saves one less human life than we do does it more like where's where are we at with the point i've and i know we're getting slightly off of the ai topic yeah. but ai is the one i don't you know i mean speaking for me i don't see any evidence that there's any proof that any of this stuff is any safer even than a teenage drunk driver at this point um i uh you know <sighs> There's a lot of, uh, I, you know, AI on its own, the term, I, I, when I say it and when you hear me say this podcast, it is in quotes, air quotes, because I, I don't know what it means. I mean, I've seen a lot of potential um, possibly for, you know, if we're moving outside of the AV space, you know, autonomous vehicles are all the rage to talk about. They're not going to be here for you know, maybe 30 years properly. Who knows? We don't know. It's a long time away, but there are probably some things that we could get into cars on the roads now using artificial intelligence. But in this case, it's more of a machine learning type system, like with the GM cruise or some of these systems um, the, that have the driver monitoring there's, AI can't doesn't just need to be used to train vehicles how to move. You know, it's also could be used to turn around and evaluate camera inputs from drivers to determine whether or not they're drunk, whether or not they're uh, about to pass out, whether they have passed out. You know, there's a million different things, whether they're distracted, that a that a trained machine could detect and then hopefully get that driver off the road if there's a problem and there's also you know i've read a couple spots where there's even devices that can be deployed into the infrastructure at certain places that can possibly detect bad drivers for uh a, and, and you know that sounds like something that might might be useful um the the driver monitoring thing though is something that you know, if if we could cut out a lot of those uh, bad behaviors, not just in fatal accidents, but also in accidents that cause thousands upon thousands of injuries um, every year, then we, you know, that might be a way where this AI could um, do something in the near future versus, you know, 30 or 40 years from now, whenever all these uh, machines kept catch up with the venture capital money that's following them. Well, and remember that, AI is not one thing. It's many things. Yeah. It's, it's very useful in systems like automatic emergency braking. You've got a narrow set of inputs. You've got a, a, a very narrow set of outputs. It's an excellent wraparound uh, for that whole set of requirements that are needed to effectively do uh, automatic emergency braking. If you look at pedestrian automatic emergency braking, okay, it, it, gets more challenging and more useful because if it can distinguish between a human being and a fire hydrant, for example, or a human being and a fence post, then it becomes a very powerful way of enhancing the automatic emergency braking 
to avoid running over pedestrians. If you think of the lane changing alerts that a lot of modern cars have, that's another great use of artificial intelligence. They've uh, got a narrow set of circumstances. They've got a you know a narrow set of outputs. You can put a wrap around. You can put a, an AI wrapper around that whole situation, and you can enhance the capability. A downside of artificial intelligence, thinking of artificial intelligence writ large, is that it becomes an excuse for not doing the kind of things that you can do now to reduce the hazards and uh, to motorists and pedestrians and the numbers of deaths that are occurring right now. Uh, the whole idea that in the future everything will be much better so we don't need to do anything now is a great way for the automotive industry to procrastinate and to avoid and deflect from the idea that, well, you really ought to do everything you can now. Start saving lives now. Why wait until the future to start saving lives when you can't even prove that you will be saving lives in the future by this extensive investment of you know capital, time, and, and human talent in developing these AI systems? So today, those the very narrowly defined things, we're talking about automatic emergency braking, lane keeping assessed, like those are clearly defined. They're simple, uh, relatively simple things to do. Whereas having my car drive me from out of my driveway to some destination across the country and handle every scenario is uh, fic- science fiction at this point. That's um, a unicorn. You're talking yeah. about, you know, dogs and cats versus unicorns. And the dogs and cats are relatively straightforward. The unicorns are going to remain unicorns for quite a while. Right. Okay. So I think that's a lot of confusion that people in the auto industry, at least, or consumers have around AIs because it's being sold as this this God thing. And, and people also have the mistake of, if it came out of a computer, it must be correct, um, which is a mistake. If anyone, you know, if you want to dispel <laughs> yourself of that, just get pull your credit report and you'll see that wait a second, I'm 10 years younger than I actually am. Um, so I, I think I think that that helps clear things up. But then I see there's other things where I get you know very cynical and see how the term AI is being used. Um, and there was one where it was uh, the someone at the University of Georgia or Georgia Institute of Technology was saying, hey, we can use AI to figure out which EV charging station is in use or, or or track the functionality of the charging stations where in my mind i think that's just monitoring is it on or is it off like is it working like it's much simpler than having to have a neural network there or something of that nature um but i, I think michael i think you kind of disagree with me on this well that you know it looked like that was looking at infrastructure well charger reviews that were uh coming into a complaint site about ev chargers and it was using uh some sort of interpret they was interpreting all of that data and basically spitting out what what's going on with these chargers where people are having problems what are they having problems with rather than you having with fairly decent accuracy not quite as perfect as an expert human but with pretty good accuracy enough to where it might make more sense if you were the guy in charge of taking those complaints and putting out a report on them so you could so you can make the system better um it would it would give you a good idea of what the complaints are all a good enough idea without expending all of the capital to review 70,000 complaints. So it looked like, you know, it looked like something that could work. And, you know, it was using kind of a, I don't know what you call them, natural language heuristics or whatever that stuff is. Um, my mind is, is a little blown from all the AI talk this week, but it was using that to just basically, take the meat of all the complaints out and summarize them rather than having to use humans to do all that. I mean, here's a, here's an example of how that could work. If you have a microphone at the charging station and the um, AI engine, the inference engine is listening to that, and you frequently hear people say, God damn, charging station isn't working again. Son of a bitch. Um, you know, the, the inference engine might say, gee, perhaps we need to have maintenance actions here at this, at this particular site. Um, and if the, you know, if they instead monitor, 
you know, these damn things don't work in the whole state of damn Kansas. But let's move to Illinois. Well, you know, that might indicate to the AI engine that there's a widespread maintenance problem. But if you had a system that simply monitored each of the individual um, stations for usage and voltage and, you know, the kind of things that are characteristic of a charging station, that would be an alternative approach. If you think of commercial airplanes, they've had uh, ground avoidance systems. I can I don't remember what exactly what they're called, but you know, stall warnings and and uh, terrain avoidance systems yeah. for many many years, regardless of the status of development of the AI systems. Could you put an wrapper an AI system into that and make it better? Probably. Is it good enough now? Well, it's certainly adequate and, and successful enough so that they're required to be in the airplanes. So the, I think there'll always be tension between what you can do with analog and, and very simple monitoring approaches versus what you can do with AI to, to generalize it and minimize the number of individual sensors and inputs, um, monitoring requirements you've got to say that you can use this inference engine to you know, make an assumption about the status of some mechanical or, le or electrical system. I think that's where the tension lies between those two approaches. So I, I think you're leaning with me there, Fred, towards simpler is better. Uh, and Michael's a lawyer, so he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> Pretty much. You know, one, yeah. thing, one thing along the lines of what Fred was talking about, too, that kind of interested me as someone who doesn't like being told that I have to replace X belt every X miles as part of preventative maintenance is the um, predictive maintenance. I mean, imagine if your car could say, oh, you're good. You don't need an oil change for another 4,000 miles. Or, you know, you're, we're, we sense a, a slight fissure in your axle and you may be in danger. Or, you know, just any, any, all of these ways where vehicle inputs could be interpreted by the car to alert you to any potential problems. That's an area, you know, where, where I think this type of thing could be really handy. Um, you would, you, I don't know that, you know, the, the dealers would like it quite as much. It might hurt their bottom line if you were, you know, able to keep your parts on your vehicle a lot longer than recommended by the manufacturer. But it seems like something that, you know, I'm sure they already have it in play, you know, in main, in, in some of the factories and things. Um, they have a lot of machinery. For instance, in the uh, I think it was the BMW factory I was reading about, and they have a a very very strong predictive maintenance system going on inside the factory to make sure the machines are working great. So, I think it would be cool to get some of that into cars um, to save consumers some money. Yeah, but you probably again we probably don't need AI to do that. Like your car has the tire pressure sensor warning. There's simpler things to do you're just all on this ai bandwagon because you spent all this time researching it and you you're such a glutton for technology <laughs> i i you know i i i what i really want out of you know really kind of want to get across in in the podcast is that it's really important to focus on what people are talking about when they say the word ai because they could be talking about machine learning they could be talking about a you know 50 different other disciplines or fields that are related. Um, and it's really important, I think, for anyone trying to understand it to figure out exactly what they're talking about first uh, before handing them a big gob of money or before, you know, it's, it's, there are a lot of complex um, complexities in this field. And to me, the, the, the biggest complexity is the data required. I mean, where are you going to get 70 million pictures of cows all over earth to populate this database? And how are you going to make sure that all that data is structured and maintained in a way that it's useful and doesn't create problems of its own? That seems like an enormous challenge. It is. There was actually a, a paper done where uh, people at Berkeley looked at the quality of a vast database that's commercially available and showed that uh, in pictures of nature, there was only about a 5% probability of a correct interpretation of the data within that database if it wasn't characterized exactly properly. But I, I, one other thing I want to bring up along those same lines is that people need to be very careful when they're reading articles about AI 
because if, if you look at the articles, there is an almost, well, I'd say a very subtle mixture of aspirational and observational statements about them. Like, you know, AI can do this and AI might be able to do this. And very, very free, very infrequently will you see a statement that said, AI failed to do this. AI, you know, has a real problem with this kind of maneuver. Usually you find a lot of uh, really utopian visions mixed in with the articles about AI, even when they try hard to restrict themselves to what they really understand and to what's really been observed with empirical uh, suitably empirical disciplines. So uh, AI will just stick with, you know, very simple things. Or no, let's, just, let's not use this term anymore because it is really just a marketer's term at this point. It doesn't really mean anything. And a lot of times it doesn't work. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I think inference engine is the right term to use. It just doesn't slide off the tongue as, as much. I mean, neural network, there you go. That sounds fancy. It does, and it draws, it draws investment too. Yeah, that's and that's at the end of the day, that's what we're all about. So this podcast is brought to you by our neural network. Go to autosafety.org, <laughs> click on donate, and you'll fund our neural network because it's obvious that we're artificially intelligent. Just no, I'm, I'm naturally point. stupid. Oh, that's from Executive Director Michael Brooks. Well, I, I'd also like to say you've got to be a trained engineer to be a real Luddite. So. <laughs> well, that's why I, I think one of these days we want, Michael, you to come up with a, a car concept of, of everything that you want in it from a safety perspective. Hmm. Well, I, think that's called, I think that's called a pair of sneakers. <laughs> right. No, it was, come on, it was the research safety vehicle they smashed in like 1980, right? Yeah, they um, NHTSA built a research safety vehicle back in the day that was, you know, I think they were going after fuel economy and, you know, they, I, I safety. they had airbags in it and Reagan killed that program quick, um, along with a lot of other things at NHTSA when, when he came on. So um, that I've still got, uh, you know, a, a giant library of research papers on the research safety vehicle. If you want to peruse those sometime, Anthony, thousands of pages. Pass. No, I, I saw the videos of them. I, I, I saw, you know, they had foam dashboards or something like that. They gave way. So, you know, I, I was a big, crash. I loved that idea. I mean, it was happening while I was a child, but it was, it, it seems like something that, that, that the DOT and NHTSA could, could do again today so that they can get a little more expertise on autonomous vehicles. But I don't know. I don't, it, it may be it, it, the way some of this, AI and AV is trending. I don't know that it's even worth the investment right now until we actually see some real results from this stuff. That's actually a really good point. So bringing it back to AI, um, you, you know, you have right now, you have a bunch of companies doing their own independent research, pulling up their own independent data sets. And it makes me think of like the Human Genome Project, where this was funded primarily by the US government of mapping the human genome and sequencing it. And they made all of this data public. So yeah. anyone can go ahead and add to this. I mean, there should be something similar with these kinds of data sets, especially around safety issues. I'm sure, you know, the avionics industry would love this. The auto industry would love this because it's less of a burden for them um, at that point. And they can always say, hey, our data is better. And just, you know, by adding their one little piece of data to it, which they don't have to share or something like that. But hey, that I'm just being a really wide-eyed optimist there. Aren't I? Yes, yes. Yeah. But I would expect there would be, you know, there's just so many. And I think we kind of discussed this, or maybe we didn't last week. But when I was wondering why, if we if we need an environmental model of the world, we need that billion cal database. Why are we not sharing that amongst all the automakers and with the government and everyone? So we everyone can add to it and make it better and enrich it over time rather than having every one of these models siloed within a corporation that no one ever outside ever gets to see or use or benefit from. So there's that's a big question there, Anthony. I love it. The billion cow database. This is this is great. In New York, there's the Billion Oyster Project. 
which they're trying to, you know, reseed oysters to help the environment. I, I like that idea. But the Billion Cow Project. The VCD. I, I think, you know, we turn first to the government of India to get some funding. I'm going to let that one hang for a minute. <laughs> I, I can see both of you just, let, you know, I'm not going to edit it out, What whatever. Uh yeah, so uh, I, I don't know, Fred. I know we kind of hijacked your 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 Tao and and your AI. Is it Tao or Dow, or does it matter? And when I was in college, it was the Dow. Is how I learned it. So mm. I don't know. Yeah. As long as you get the Fred part right, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the the Fred part we got right. Is there anything else you wanted to add into the uh, to the AI section? You know, I think we, we, we could probably talk about AI for months, but it's going to be a few months before I want to again. <laughs> well, Michael says there's nothing you want to add. <laughs> well, you know, in the future, everything will be better, no doubt. We have to believe that, but I, I'm not sure that uh, following AI is the way to get there with automotive safety. All right. Um, and with that, it's time for listener mail. Hey, no listener mail this week. All right, listeners, I know you're busy. You know, you're right now, you're filling out your your monthly credit card donations to the Center for Auto Safety. But after you do that, just, you know, send us a note. Anything you want to discuss that is not a press release or something offensive, because those things come in, uh, we'll discuss it on the podcast. We've had a bunch of great feedback and questions around things like, are uh, <laughs> our, our motorcycles crash tested? Um, I, I don't remember the other ones off the top of my head, but you can have these great questions answered. I mean, I'm surprised no one asked, Hey, how come you didn't define OEDR? Um, but hey, you know, that just could be our audience. They're that sophisticated. They already knew, but Hey, this week's word AI, artificial intelligence. It's nothing more than a marketing scam at this point. Kind of, sort of, maybe. It'll be here one day. Right. Well, it is in some extent. I mean, sometimes I have to turn on speech recognition on my computer and it gets stuff right most of the time. What did I write down here? I said the artificial intelligence is being used every day in every way. So why not just surrender to our digital overlords? Remember last week, Fred said he was abducted by aliens. <laughs> so <laughs> take everything he says with a grain of salt. I think that's where I got that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they told you to say. Good. All right. I think that uh, that takes uh, another week of our lives. Um, so I, thanks, listeners. For more information, yeah, visit www.autosafety.org. Right, bye-bye.